You're listening to Spurs Cast, episode 663. My name is Paul Garcia, and I am your host here on the Spurs Cast. Today, I'll be joined by Project Spurs writer Benjamin Bornstein and former Project Spurs writer Trevor Zitgraf. The last time I spoke to Ben and Trevor, the Spurs hadn't selected their picks in the NBA draft. Now, with one summer league game logged, let's see what they think about the Spurs' draftees. All right, guys, welcome. How are y'all doing? Uh, uh, ben, go ahead and start us off. How are you doing? Fantastic, man. Ready to, ready to talk some post-draft draft. And Trevor, how are you doing? Early here on the West Coast, but uh, I'm ready to go. You guys couldn't think of a better way to wake up on a Sunday morning. There, there we go. All right, guys. So uh, before we get to the uh, getting y'all's analysis on the Spurs' picks in the draft, and again, I, I did want to have you guys both on um, post-draft to, to get your analysis here. Uh, I do want to go with the late, over the latest news and notes uh, for the team since I last recorded a Spurs cast. Some official signings and moves that have taken place. Uh, the Spurs officially waived Danilo Gallinari on, on Friday. Um, I made a, I made a video um, on Project Spurs where you can go look at that and see, you know, what are the cap implications with Gallinari waived. All three Spurs rookies have signed their contracts. Um, I know Blake Wesley was the first player to sign last week, and then Jeremy Sohan and Malachi Branham both signed on Friday. Uh, and then also the Spurs can open up the most cap space in the league, depending on it, on certain moves that they make. So they do have the most cap space left. Let's first begin with that question about the cap space. Um, uh, Trevor, we'll start with you. What do you think the Spurs are doing with that cap space? They can open up to, like, I think it's like $35 million if they if they needed to. What do you think they're doing right now? Um, well, I think the most logical space is that they are in total rebuild. Like, we're going to take your bad contracts for, uh, for a, a nice draft pick or a couple of okay draft picks or whatever. I think they're just looking for draft equity. Um, mm-hmm. I, I tweeted this, but I feel like... Um, Maybe like Mike Conley or Gordon Hayward come to mind as far as like maybe they'll just they'll just take them. They both have two years left on their deal. Maybe they play for half the season before yeah. they get dealt. I mean, I feel like uh, they could use like I mean like Mike Conley, like what Trey Jones is the only like actual point guard on the roster mm-hmm. right now. So I don't think like having Mike Conley be like your nominal starter or just come off the bench and play twenty minutes per game wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And then Gordon Hayward would just kind of be an offensive hub that un- until he gets hurt, um, if, if that were the case, um, you know, so I don't think it's like things that they couldn't use, but I don't, I don't think they're trying to win what I would like them to do. Um, and I, I'm just going to keep banging this drum, even though I don't think it's realistic. Like, I don't think they're actually doing it now. Um, I would, I still think going after Deandre Ayton is a worthy option just because oh. like he's 23 years old. Um, they, with the exception of maybe just having to trade Jakob Pertl, mm-hmm. just because you don't really need Jakob Pertl if you have DeAndre Ayton, like you're not giving up anything to get him. You know what I mean? Like you're not like you're, you don't have to sacrifice any of the young talent that you have, or at least giving him an offer sheet. And maybe that just forces Phoenix to match, and whatever. Then at least you did yeah. something. But also, I just think like if from a development standpoint, there are worse things to have than a guy who can. You know, you can see if he can be an offensive hub. I mean, he we, we don't know for sure that he can be yet because mm-hmm. of the last two years he's just had Chris Ball and Devin Booker. He's just lived in that space. But, like, think about, like, you know, if Josh Green was coming off of a, a screen roll, um, there's a lot worse things to have than, like, either than have DeAndre Ayton say in that screen and then a high talent to the basket or uh, DeAndre Ayton getting double teamed and guys coming off of curls and getting wide open looks uh, off of ball movement. So, um, and I, I mean, like he, look, he was the third 
best player on a finals team and a third best player on a 60 something win team and you know the the best defender uh you could argue you could argue it's the best defender on both of those teams so um those guys don't become available very often so i think um I think that's still a viable option. I don't think that's what the Spurs are doing, but I think it's a viable option. And the last thing I'll say is um, I think they could also be waiting for the, um, you know, as you get towards the uh, beginning of the season, the rookies who don't extend, who don't get the the contract extensions. So basically mm-hmm. the that DeAndre Ayton was in last fall, uh, you know, they are, they are prime to be able to hop onto that uh, if any of those guys actually get moved. Yeah, Kelvin Johnson could be in that situation this coming off. Yeah, no, that's, um, yeah, Kelvin Johnson is in that situation exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so just to clarify, there, uh, the Spurs again. You know, DeAndre Ayton's max is thirty point nine million in year one, and the Spurs can definitely open up that kind of cap space. Though, so you know, that's an option. Ben, I'm going to ask you two questions. Then, one, what do you think they're doing? And then, two, what what would you prefer them to do with their cap space? I I'm in agreement with Trevor on this one. I think what they're doing is they're kind of opening themselves up and saying, yeah, we'll take on your really terrible contracts, but you're going to have to give us something in return. You're mm-hmm. going to have to give us either some sort of young asset who's cheap or picks or whatever it is. They're, they're going to be the third team or a fourth team mm-hmm. in a trade that is going to be way too complicated for me to follow in a series of tweets. <laughs> but um yeah, I think they're going to be one of those kind of facilitating trade partners. Mm-hmm. Um, if not now slash before the season, I think certainly near the trade deadline when people have a better idea or when teams have a better idea of, okay, are we competing or not? Yeah, because um, Paul, Paul, you probably have it in front of you. They have a full roster, right? I mean, like technically. Yeah, the Spurs, all they, yeah they have 15 players and they would have to just wave either Trey Jones or um, Kata Bates job to open up a roster spot. Yeah. Which so. I would imagine it's KBD. Mm-hmm. Off the top of my head, it's who I'd go with just because of, tr- like Trevor mentioned, there's no real true. Trey Jones is the only true point guard on this team right now. Um, so it would not make a lot of sense to get rid of him. And he's cheap enough that it shouldn't matter that you keep him. Um, what I'd like, I'd like them to at least tender an offer to okay. DeAndre Ayton. Um, even if you have, even if you know or you have zero intention of actually signing him or you don't think you have a real shot at him. You you have to make the Suns do something. Yeah, Spurs. I don't. I just don't think the Spurs can sit back and just let teams do what they want and get comfortable and and think that they're going to be able to take advantage of whatever situations they have. I think the Suns are probably thinking, oh well, no one's going to make an offer on him. He's a restricted free agent, so maybe he'll just take what we give him. But if the Spurs say, no, we'll give him this money, we'll we'll give you this offer. Now now the Suns have to make a decision. You're at least making them do something. Um, I, and it's just, I get not, and I think a lot of people have gotten upset because there's, you know, there's been a lot of rumors or there's been reports that like the Spurs would be a perfect third team in a potential like Nets made to get rid of Kyrie Irving so he can rejoin LeBron, which makes no sense to me, but I was like, Oh, they're not going to do it because they despise the Lakers so much. I'm like, okay. And are they not allowed to despise the Lakers? Are they not allowed? Like, why would they? Why would they help a team they don't like? Granted, in every trade, you should try. You should be not trying to help the team you're trading with. You should be trying to win the trade. But you know, you have to give concessions here and there, or else people just straight up won't trade with you. It becomes like my fantasy football season, 
where if I'm having any sort of a decent season, I don't trade anybody and I don't give anybody an opportunity to make an offer because I like my team go away. Um, also, that's a team they have an asset from. Like they picked up a 2024 second round pick from them. So like if you're basically helping them get rid of Russell Westbrook, like you're improving them in the short term in theory. Um, and then like, I also just think like, cause the Lakers only have two draft picks to trade and, Brooklyn's going to want one of those picks. So, like, yeah. Uh, and, and Paul, you I, you probably have a better grasp on this than I do, but like, mm. Russell, he was like 45 million. Is that? Is yeah, that he's like 45, 47. I don't have a top of my head. But then <laughs> so, the thing is, with San Antonio, is they'd have to include another contract, either somebody exactly. like Hurdle or Josh Richardson, someone like, or Doug McDermott, somebody like that, a and good then, player. And then, mm-hmm. so you're either putting Westbrook on your roster and having him play. And like, that's not a guy that, and look, it's worked out his entire career for him. Like he doesn't, it's not that he doesn't share, but it's like who on the current roster is going to be like, okay, actually, actually Russell, <laughs> uh, my turn. Like no one's going to yeah. do that. And so like, I just feel like you're just developing a bunch of role players. If you have Russell Westbrook on your roster. And then if you buy him out, like you're still basically like you're capped out at that point. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't just be like, yes, we'll take your $25 million player, uh, give me a good draft pick or give me, give me a good person, a good second or, you know, like you can't do that. So that's why I don't, that's actually why I don't want that contracts too, too big, way too big. Yeah. So yeah, that, and that's the thing. It's it, if, if they were to trade for Russell Westbrook, again, you're sending out a good player, you're sending out Josh Richardson or Doug McDermott to the Lakers or the Nets, somebody. Uh, and then also, um, uh, Westbrook would most likely get bought out. So I know Eric Pincus of Bleacher Report, who's a really good um, uh, cap person, he uh, he said basically for the Spurs would be like a $17 million hit for them on their cap sheet. But I mean, you're still losing all that cap space, right? Either way, like you said, Trevor. So then there goes your your ability to trade for other contracts for picks and things like that. So, I mean, yeah. I, I agree with both you guys. I, I think that's what the route they're taking is they just want to be that third team who gets involved uh, and they're waiting. Um, um, and, and again, you know, I think the Pacers are the most likely team to offer DeAndre Ayton the uh, offer sheet. They don't have as much cap space as the Spurs. I think the most they can open up is like twenty nine million if they trade some players. But again, the Spurs could definitely, you know, send, send a, Aiden a mile. By the way, a Miles Turner sign and trade, like because yeah. Ayton's got that baser compensation, so it's like the mm-hmm. trade value is basically like half of what his actual contract is. And but Miles Turner for DeAndre Ayton in that case, like that swap almost like money wise almost works perfectly. So I I agree, Paul. I think that's Indiana is the most likely Aiton destination. I will add on the Aiton thing real quick because uh, I got in a lot of I've, I've been banging the Aiton drum on Twitter like nobody's business. But uh, basically, it's like okay, well, you're taking yourself out of the the first or second pick in the draft. And it's like okay, um, I don't think I think DeAndre Aiton's a very good basketball player. I just made the case for him. Um, I think like given the fact that this team only has like one point guard and. Uh, it's a team that really needs to there's like guys need to develop everywhere. Like it's not like, I don't think Deandre Ayton takes you from a 20 win team to a 35 win team. Like you're mm-hmm. still going to be bottom half or whatever, top, top of the lottery. Like I still think you could like, maybe you're not the worst team in the league. Maybe you're the fifth or sixth worst team in the league. Yeah. But like, I still think with the way the lottery odds have flattened yeah. out, like you're still going to have a shot as a good pick. And like, what if you, what if you were still one of the, one, uh, you know, two or three worst teams in the league, and you still drop down to like the fifth pick in the league yep. or fifth pick in the draft. We've seen that happen plenty of times. Really? So, I, uh, you, you know, Ben, you and I both follow the draft pretty hardcore. Scoot Henderson is awesome. Victor Wimbanyama is awesome. But you're like, 
looking at like a 15% chance of getting those guys. Yeah. Uh, and, and frankly, even if you don't end up with a top two pick in next year's draft, there's a ton of dudes that are great consolation prizes. Yeah. And, and like in theory, like if, cause if you're signing Deandre Ayton to an X contract, you're saying that you think Deandre Ayton has room to improve. You think he has room to, uh, especially offensively to be yeah. uh, a, a primary option. So like, you're not even guaranteed that the guy that you're drafting at, let's say three or four, or even one and two. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I think Wembenyama and Scoot Henderson are going to be very good players, um, but there's no guarantees that those guys are going to be, are, are going to even hit DeAndre Ayton's level. Um, but you know, projecting forward with what he could be. So that it's just, I just, I get a lot of pushback. Like, well, you're ruining the tank, and it's like, I mean, yeah, like, I understand. Like, I understand not wanting to go after the 28-year-old veteran who's made, like, one all-star team and might not ever make another all-star team again. A 23-year-old guy, like, just coming off his first rookie deal, like, that's a totally different thing. And you still have the Richardson contract, the McDermott contract, and and Pirtle's probably gone anyways. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you still have that flexibility to make – to take on – to make other moves. Yeah, and I think that's why this this year tanking is a little bit different. I mean, being in this era of tanking is a little bit different because I mean we just look at Houston, right? They had they had the worst record in the league. They bottomed out, and then they still got the number three pick in the draft. They couldn't get the you know. So again, there's no guarantee that anymore that tanking is you know it's not like the the, the era when Tim Duncan was you know was was, was getting drafted. So. Oklahoma City was trying really hard to be yeah. the worst team in the league last year. <laughs> I mean, you want yeah, to talk so. about the Tim Dar- Tim Duncan era of of. That, I mean, I'm pretty sure the year the Spurs got the number one pick, it was actually supposed to be Boston. I think Boston had a worse yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the Spurs yeah. had like the third or fourth best lottery odds or worst yeah. lottery odds, however, however we're, we're looking at it. They were, yeah, they were projected to have like the third or fourth pick. Oh. Yeah, so I mean, again, so again, I can see both y'all's arguments. Whether you you give the the offer sheet to DeAndre Ayton, or you just you know, or you just try to bottom out. And again, there's no guarantee that if you're the worst team in the league, you're going to get that number one pick. All right, yeah. so let's continue on. Uh, some other some other uh, de- deals that haven't been made official. So we're still waiting on Gorgie Jang to sign his deal. I do. I I, I am interested in seeing if, if he signed for the veteran minimum, or if he got a little bit more of their cap space. Uh, Dominic Barlow is interesting because he is supposed to sign a two way deal. They haven't signed him yet to that two-way deal. And so I do wonder, because he had some, some, some a pretty um, impressive summer league play in his first game. We'll talk about him a little bit later. But I do wonder, do y'all think there's any chance that um, the Spurs, instead of giving him a two-way, they just, they just give him a regular NBA deal because they can sign up to like a two- or four-year deal? Ben, uh, go first there. What do, you, what do you think about Barlow maybe getting a full uh, roster spot? That's tough. Um, I would, I'm inclined to say that they don't initially give him a two to four year deal just because they're going out and they're signing Gorgie Jang. Mm-hmm. But attention is to move Jakob Pearl at some point. And it, it would probably depend on who they get back in that trade. If they don't get back another big in the trade, then I would say Barlow's, you know, probability of getting signed to a out to an outright deal, not two way is much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, I, I mean, I think the Spurs probably just want to see what they have in him with, with the summer league and they, yeah. they want to see, you know, what exactly he can do. This was a guy who was probably going to be, uh, you know, a lot of people said he was going to be a second round pick. He ends up going undrafted. The Spurs grab him. It's, you know, I think it's a nice grab personally, um, but he's only played one summer league game. I think yeah. it, it may come down to what he does in the rest of these summer league games and how much run they give him and what he can show them. Cause I think his, the biggest swing skill for him is going to be shooting, you know, like it is for a lot of guys, but especially as, you know, potentially six nine, six ten 
guy who can move really well. If he can space the floor for teams, they're going to really value him a lot more than just being, you know, a gazelle running athlete up and down the court. Trevor, what do you think about that, about them instead of going with two-way route, just straight up giving uh, Barlow a deal already? I think initially they probably just still two-way him um, because you can always convert. You can yes. convert. I don't. I don't know the specific rules, but you can always convert the contract uh, mm-hmm. into the season if they decide he needs more minutes. Um, but uh, actually, so a, a buddy of mine works for Overtime Elite, and so I just asked him. Uh, I said, "Hey, like after the the report came out that they signed him, I said, hey, tell me, like, what's what's the deal with this guy?' Because I, you know, I'd seen that they liked him. I knew he was a big, uh, but I didn't like." Second round guys, it's so hard to like, <laughs> it's just so hard to figure out like who I should actually be paying attention to. Um, but he told me, uh, you know, obviously great frame and everything, but he told me ultimate team guy and worker, great competitor, good feel for the game. Uh, his three's developing. He's already a really good defender. Uh, I, ben, did you know this? He was only a three-star recruit uh, when he committed to overtime elite. Yeah, uh, he was. Yeah, he was not heavily recruited by. And so he, so so, uh, my friend uh, thinks that you know part of the reason that he went undrafted was because he just didn't have this cachet going in. Um, yeah. It wasn't, just, it wasn't uh, a sexy name. Yeah. Yes. Um, but he said, um, and you know, just obviously, like I think there's the the there's still like a little bit of skepticism with overtime elite. But he said the only thing he said that like really jumped out to me was that. Um, of the guys over time he had this year, he committed himself to the program as much as anyone and just like lived in the gym. Um, and so, you know, I, I actually think um, if it is just the two way, which I think it will be, Austin's going to be the perfect place for that guy to grow. Like that's what a, what a perfect next step for him to just, he's in this overtime elite program with a bunch of other guys, his age. And he's going to primarily spend most of his time in Austin Um where he's going to get to explore the space a little bit more, but also like not, he's not like, it's that you're not going from high school to just getting thrown into the fire uh, of this, of, of the NBA. And so uh, I think I like, as far as two way signing go, like that's just like ideally what you want your two way to be, because he still gets to spend time with the, the big club and, yeah. and, you know, what, absorb what all that. What is the rule on that, Paul? By the way, is it is it fifty days on the roster, and then you? Yeah, it's like I think they just went to specific games now, so I think it's like fifty games is your max. Um, and, and they did this last year with Joe Wieskamp. They had him on a two way to start the year, and then uh, and Devontae Kaycock, and then they they both con- they converted both mm-hmm. players to him. For yeah, so I think I think that's probably the, the safest route that they go. I just I do think it's interesting that they haven't signed him quite yet to that actual. Two-way. Yeah. All right. So before we move on to our next topic, guys, let's listen to a quick word from our sponsors. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action of baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code 
TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, so now let's go ahead and um, break down the uh, draft how it went, and then just get y'all's uh, y'all's first y'all, y'all's impressions, thoughts of, of what the Spurs did here. Uh, so let's begin with the number nine pick that they that they uh, selected. This is Jeremy Sohan. Um, he's actually six eight according to their training camp roster. So I know in the draft he was six nine, but he was he looked a little bit shorter um, uh, when he was standing next to Branham and, and um, Blake Wesley uh, mm-hmm. in person. Uh, he, 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 unfortunately we can't see him in the summer league because he, he initially had, um, uh, you know, he had COVID-19, he was in health and safety protocol. He exited the protocols, but they did, the Spurs didn't want to rush him back. They said, you know, he hasn't been in conditioning, things like that. And then even, um, it broke the other day during the, the game that he actually has some ha- hamstring issues from before the draft or something like that. So, so again, uh, Soham will not play. So we won't actually get to see him out on the court until, until the season actually starts or in training camp, at least. Uh, so, so Ben, let's start with you. What, what, what were your thoughts of them drafting Sohan, um, at, you know, at number nine? I love that pick at number nine. That was that was probably one of my top three guys that I wanted them to get. Uh, Dyson Daniels, of course, was one of the other ones. They, they just missed out on him. He got picked. I think it was the pick before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a little upset that Dyson Daniels came off the board. Um, I was super ecstatic, though, that Shadon Sharp was off the board because that decision was then <laughs> out of their hands. I know we had that discussion last time. Um Jalen Duran was a guy I liked for them, but ultimately I think Sohan was the right choice. It's just you need you you need someone like that. The, the Spurs just need, you know, that guy, whether he's six eight or six nine, whatever, he can probably still play small ball five. Mm-hmm. He can play some point forward from you. My favorite comparison for him has been like a much more athletic Boris Diaw. Um and and the hope is that he develops a three point shot to be consistent and he can he can actually space the floor for you rather than just being potentially just a straight point forward who's handling the ball and trying to make plays for others I'd like to I'd like to see how a shot develops I think again that's as I've said for other people that is going to be a major swing skill for him okay Trevor what are your thoughts on them taking Sohan at nine uh I mean I didn't love it um I remain skeptical about his offensive upside but he is a six eight defensive first mm-hmm. wing slash big big forward whatever whatever we're calling this he's big he's a six foot eight forward who can who can play defense and can switch positions so that alone makes it um a worthy pick i think you know yeah, there was ben mentioned a couple of the names there were other guys i liked in that range a little bit more specifically jalen duran but um i i totally get the pick like i'm not i didn't like i didn't even like um you know my initial response on draft night like when i was just watching it by the way guys i was very proud of myself um i put my phone down after the pelicans picked dyson daniels i put my phone down like screen down wow oh wow and like went and like washed a couple dishes or like i just did something and i was like i I just want to be surprised everyone else i was like i was on twitter the rest of the draft fantastic Um, especially because like yeah like sohan sohan was there Duran was there. I don't remember who else was there that I, that I liked for them. And so I was like, I just want to be surprised. Um, so I, I, I did it and it was torturous. Um, but anyways, no, I think like Ben, Ben said all the things like he's, he's, um, he's a versatile skill set. He's right. The, the shot's going to be the swings, the swing skill, but, um, you know, at the very least, like he's going to be able to play defense. He's going to be able to move the ball. You can put him in a dunker spot, especially if you have, like, I actually think like, uh, signing Gorgie Jang 
and having Zach Collins as your backups, as your backup fives right now is perfect because um, they can space. And so the one thing, like, I don't think he should start because he's probably just going to be forced to sit in the corner and Mm -hmm. jack up threes and just not really be able to do everything else that we know that, uh, or that we think that he can be able to do. Um, So to bring it back around to the Gorgie Jang thing, um, I think that's a good, Gorgie Jang helps Jeremy Sohan develop into an NBA player um, is my, is my take. Yeah. And, and Gorgie's one of those guys who has started, you know, early, early on, he wasn't like a floor spacer. Now he's actually added that to his yeah. game. And he, you know, like I said, 61% of his threes came, I mean, 61% of his shots came from three. Uh, my two things are, are um, one, I, it's going to be, I think pop's really going to like him. The fact that this dude is all defense first, like the fact that he can switch positions, you know, that's his, that's his calling card. That's going to be something where, um, again, I don't think he'll start, but I think he's going to get a good amount of minutes just because pop's going to want to play the players who play defense first. Uh, and the number two is um, I do wonder if they're already going to, they're already looking at, at let, letting him have the ball in his hands and running like some pick and rolls and things like that because i remember i don't know if it was josh primo i think it was primo one of his um training camp or or summer league uh practices he mentioned how jeremy's gonna be a player who also you know runs the offense with them so i do wonder you know with this this style of like letting different players attack the defense i wonder if he's gonna be get to be a primary ball handler at different times in the offense um all right let's move on to the second pick that they had uh this is malachi branham uh he was drafted 20th uh he's a 6-5 guard so he did play in his first summer league game against Cleveland on Friday. He finishes with 15 points on 15 shot attempts. He had a better shooting second half. So in the first half, he did miss a lot of his shots. He went two of six from three. He had three rebounds uh, and just 2,028 minutes. Uh, the Spurs had him in this in this game played at three. I know he's I know he's uh, you know he's only six five. Uh, just my my initial thoughts, just because again, you guys have watched him in college. I didn't watch him in college, but just seeing him in the summer league game is my oh my. Those Chris Middleton um, comparisons are right on cue. Like his his. His, he doesn't drive hard to the rim. Instead, he kind of backs you down to the post, like and tries to get that like mid range. You know, that from what people say, you know, the three level scoring he has that. And so, uh, I was really impressed by him. He's very, he's very calm. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't like like play with a lot of like like you know just like like just zipping through and, and trying to try to rush at the defense. Uh, Tre- Trevor, go start with you. What, what was your thoughts on on the Branham pick? So Branham, I'll be honest. Branham and Blake Wesley were like guys that I was obviously aware of, but I didn't put a ton of uh I didn't invest a bunch of time into because uh Brandon especially was like I don't know like I felt like the entire time once he shot up the boards he was like mm-hmm. projected to go like 15th like 14th 15th and so like I was like I'm not gonna worry about this like he's not going nine he's a guard I'm I'm anti-guard <laughs> with that ninth pick so, but I didn't even think about it for the 20th um but then so once he once they made the pick I, I went back and you know, did a little, did a little research. And then uh, that first summer league game, you're right, Paul, like just like the Chris Middleton comparisons. Like, I just loved it. I love the pick. I loved it. He, Cause he gives them, um, he could score from, from any, like really it feels like he could score from anywhere on the floor. I think that first summer league game, we didn't see him really finishing around the basket too much. Yeah, he did. But um, really tough shot maker from like the mid post yeah. from like the elbow. Uh, mm-hmm. Just really, um, you know, it's still curious to see what he is on defense, but he's pretty big, like pretty big, sturdy yeah. dude for six five, and um, so I'm just, I'm super excited about him. Um, but the more that I was able to go back and watch a little bit of watch a little bit of tape, and then uh, what we saw in that first summer league game, I just felt like he always knew where he was supposed to be on the floor, which is also a thing that a lot of 19 year olds <laughs> don't know initially. You know, we'll we'll talk about Blake Wesley in a second, but um, 
Um, yeah, I, Ben, you probably watched. I, I think you because he was a he was a bit of a late bloomer at Ohio State too. So yeah, he he came on much stronger in the second half of the season. He I think it was part of it was he got a lot more comfortable in their offense and realized I should probably somebody has to step up and give EJ yeah. Liddell some help. The man can't carry this entire team by himself, and so Branham decided he was going to be the second fiddle, which worked out well. They they played much better in the second half of the season. Um, after I think it was a rough start to their Big Ten schedule, they kind of brought it back and were a decent team. Um, but yeah, he's like you said, he makes tough shots. He's not afraid. He's he, he's mentally he's prepared to play the NBA yeah. game. He's not like you said. He knows where he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not making stupid mistakes. For the most part, the biggest concern was a shot just wasn't falling. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that will come with reps at the NBA level. So I personally, I'm not terribly worried about it. I think the, the only thing that was concerning was that the Spurs picked another guard after him, who is like Blake Wesley is a slightly different guard. I will give you that, but they already have so many tweener guys on this roster. I just thought they they could have had they could have had Nikola Jovic at 25. But we, you know, we're not we're not at we're not discussing the Blake Wesley pick yet. But um, there were some names on the board. Oh, this so Dyson the Dyson Daniels pick being right before the Spurs annoyed me a little bit. The one mm-hmm. that actually sent me over the edge was the <laughs> fact that I think it was the Grizzlies at nineteen. Got yeah. grabbed Jake Laravia. Mm-hmm. I was livid. That was like way more than I should be about a guy who got picked nineteenth. I understand that, like irrational anger. Um, What's funny about that, Ben, is I wa- so it was like the picks right before them were like Tari Eason, Dalen Terry, Jake Larabia. I'm pretty sure in that order. And I yeah. mm-hmm. said out loud, I said, "Damn it!" Every time it happened because it was like those were like three dudes, especially Terry and Eason. Yeah, yeah. That I was like perfect, perfect picks at 20. And you know what? They may have still picked Brandon because. At least the way Brian Wright told at the press conference, Paul, I think you were there. He said that he yeah, had, they had all three guys in their top twenty, right? Yeah, yes, they had he said yeah. yeah. They were on their top twenty on their so, big. Uh, but yeah, I was totally with you on that. Bit. Like the for the three picks right before that, it like Tari Eason. I don't know if you guys have watched any summer league Tari Eason yet. We've gotten the full Tari Eason experience. He's a bull in the china shop. Yeah, but he's absolutely also wreaking havoc on defense. But um, and Dale and Terry looked good in his first game, but uh. It was totally like I was like, oh yeah, I, I was so upset because I I had Jake Laravia pegged as a spur since I mean yeah. it had to have been like late May. I or, or maybe even a little earlier. I was like, Jake Laravia is a Spurs guy. I will fight this, I will die on this hill till the end of time. Uh, ben, can I ask you this? How come uh, – is it because he was a guard Branham? Because I, I remember, you know, when, you're, when your scouting process, you, you didn't put him uh, as a player that you wrote about, or was it just that he was he just his name just didn't come up? Um, because I, the, the reason why we put him on our on our big board is because I saw like a mock draft had him. But but was there something about Branham, Branham that concerned you or, or no? No, it was just I didn't I didn't get a chance to write him up because – Okay, okay. So just, like, okay. like Trevor mentioned, I mean, he was a guy who had been jumping up boards, and I assumed oh, okay. he was going somewhere in the early teens. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he, so, like, so you're saying he he did? I think he did fall because I think even on our big board we had him going, I think like 15th or 17th, something like that. So I'm trying to okay, remember. That, that I, think makes I, sense. I think I felt like Cleveland at 14 was just like yeah. I, I was like, they don't have any guards. They're probably like I don't know what they're doing with Colin Sexton. Like that just seems he's he's we he's an Ohio kid. Yeah, he's an Ohio kid. Like 
there's like Branham's like I was like that's such a that would be such a perfect cast yeah, pick. Sure. And then it went, it went with Abaji, which is also was also a good pick. But uh, Ben, I'm going to read you. Um, so Malachi Branham's overall stats. Actually, hang on, let me pull that up so we can just go uh, regular regular stats versus conference stats. So he was for the season he was 13.3 points per game, uh, 49% from the field. And I think I saw forty-one percent on threes. For some reason, Fox Sports is college. That's I think three point percent. Forty-one point six. I got you. Yeah. So, but I just pulled up his conference stuff, which is a PDF from OhioStateBuckeyes.com. But it's oh a legit God. PDF. Okay. Uh, it's a legit PDF. Don't worry, guys. Uh, so, in his twenty conference games, he shot fifty-two percent from the field. Uh, right, just a tick below forty-seven percent from three. Yeah, and um, everything else is pretty much, and then it was sixteen point three points per game. So, um, a, a big jump in in both production and efficiency. Uh, in 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 the twenty conference games, which if you're just looking at conference games, like in the college basketball season, the conference games those are, are the bulk important. of your season. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then uh, Ben, you're actually. Go ahead. He also averaged about two and a half more points per game in conference than the regular season. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, and and Ben had a good point here um, earlier. He, you know, Brennan was definitely not in the in their range. Uh, he was supposed to go earlier. So I, I was I was just looking back at our mock board, and he was supposed to go 17th, and I saw him going as early as 12. So like definitely in the like 12 to 18 range was his range. So I think I think in a, mm-hmm. in a way he did fall to them. So you're right. You know they. You know, even mock drafts had him as a top twenty player there, and, and yeah, so he it was, you know, he it was a the value pick for the Spurs. Totally understand. Yeah, I mean, if you guys think about it, oh, uh, um, you know, Chicago maybe looking for some bench scoring would have been another good spot for. Him. But if you think about it, like, uh, I mean, Easton was kind of all over the place, but like Dalen Terry and Jake Laravia were, were projected in the twenties. Yes, for, for sure. The bulk of the, I mean, the twenties and the highest for the bulk of the draft yeah. season, and then so you could say that their jump actually probably pushed. Brandon down Brandon a little bit. Yeah, for sure. All right, so now let's go to the next player that they drafted. And this is at the 25th pick. They drafted uh, Blake Wesley, 6'5", combo guard. Um, so in his opening summer league game, he he finishes uh, – he was the leading scorer along with Josh Primo with 20 points on 16 shots. He was not shy as a rookie of taking shots. He was a leading uh, shot taker in this game. Uh, he goes 3 of 4 from three-point range, um, 3 of 4 from the free throw line. He had five assists, uh, two rebounds, three turnovers, mainly in the second half with full court pressure applied to him is when he turned the ball over. Uh, two fouls in 31 minutes, so he actually played a lot of minutes too. Uh, this, what was interesting about this one is the Spurs basically made him like their point guard alongside Josh Primo. So uh, he, he ran a lot more of the offense than Primo, I would say, in this game. And then if, if he wasn't the point guard, you know, running one running point, they, they had him, you know, Primo was, was in charge and then he was like the two. Um, and so one thing I noticed is just like his speed, you know, having that NBA floor spacing, that that type of setup uh, is just I, I, I do wonder how much more now going into future drafts, we should evaluate that for like players who are very quick and, and can really like, you know, one, there was just one play that sticks out to me where, you know, he takes off along the three point arc and there's two defenders trailing him and he still gets by them just because he has so much space to work yeah. with, maybe compared to the college game. So, Trevor, let's start with you. Um, you know, what was your thoughts on Blake Wesley uh, Yeah, being picked at 25? I didn't love the pick just again because I thought Jovic was there, EJ Liddell, like just bigs were there that I was like, that I thought could help. Um, but, um, you know, learning that again, this was a guy that was in the Spurs top 20 on their board. Like, you just got to do it and figure it out later. Like, especially like, and then also once, once we found out about the DeJounte trade, I was like, oh, well, they're not 
they're not even going to try to compete this year. Like I thought maybe yeah. if they held on to DeJounte, they would just do the Spurs thing where they would, um, whether it was Aiden or a sign and trade for somebody else or just whatever that John Collins, maybe, maybe they would go get John Collins. Like they would basically just be like, we want to compete. We want to be, we think if we stay healthy and guys develop, we can be like a sixth or seventh seed or, you know, like whatever. Um, so when the pick happened, I was like, okay, whatever. Like it's the 25th pick in the draft. Like you just go with the up, like that's a total upside swing and, and whatever. Um, and then, uh, but you're right, Paul. Like he was not shy that first summer league game. I think um, uh, he said after the game that he was kind of had the mentality that he was playing point guard. And so his goal was to set dudes up first and get his own, uh, get his own second, which I did not see. I thought it was the, uh, <laughs> I thought it was the inverse. It was the other, uh, yeah, it was the inverse. Yeah. It was it funny. Was, I was, um, so I was 15 minutes, I was about 15 minutes behind uh, the live broadcast. And so, I don't know, like the first three or four plays down the floor, like he was just, yeah. He was, and they took, he got a very early sub subbing. So I tweeted, uh, Blake Wesley thinks Blake, Blake Wesley is a yes. bucket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was, like, I was like, Oh my God, this guy, like he's, he's gunning for a, for a rotation spot immediately. And then he calmed down and it, yeah, it yeah. was, he was, mm-hmm. he had a great game. Um, again, I did not see, uh, him being primary facilitator first. That was actually more Primo. I, I think the first three quarters, Primo was way more like, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, it almost felt like uh, uh, like the summer league version of like DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. That's what Blake Wesley and uh, and Josh Primo felt like. We're like, Wesley was trying to get to the basket and that it seemed like that was his goal. Um, mm-hmm. I don't love his jumper. I think his jumper needs some work, but whatever he's 19 and he was the 25th pick. So you figure that out, but yeah, his ability to get to get to the rim and um, use the angles around the rim was really impressive. And so I still think he's probably a guy who just because of the, the depth that the Spurs have on the wings, he's probably Austin bound for at least the first half of the season, but really impressive. I, again, that was another guy I didn't, um, uh, you know, I, I looked at, but I was like, Again, I thought like, well, if he's there at 20, like 20 feels like a reach and he's probably gone by 25. And I kept seeing that like somebody, some guy saw he might go like, like late teens, which I felt mm-hmm. like would have been a reach. Yeah. I still think it probably still would have been a reach, but um, I don't know. Yeah, Ben, uh, again, I defer to you on, uh, on Blake Wesley. He, he was, he was tough. That was a tough watch at Notre Dame. He did not have good spacing at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were, I mean, he, he felt like he had to be the guy at Notre Dame a lot of times. See, like, there just wasn't a lot of help. They weren't a very good team this year. Um, he shot 30%. He was 40% from the field and 30% from three, and even yeah. 65% from free throw line. I think that was like, I like, I remember when I first started evaluating, I wrote him off pretty quick because of those, it's just all of those shooting numbers. I was just like, oh my God, what are we doing? Right. The, the problem is we like, yeah, he shot like garbage, but it also has to be taken into account. Like, what was his usage percentage? That I'd I'd want to look up because I bet it was super yeah. hot. Because um, Notre Dame just didn't have other offense. Yeah, uh, they were that bad. Um, that not to say that I liked the pick initially. I didn't care for the pick just because you you had just taken the Spurs had just taken a guard who is actually listed bigger at twenty mm-hmm. and. At that point in the draft, you still had you still had Jovic, 
And you could have, if you really wanted to, you could have taken your flyer on Patrick Baldwin Jr. there. Mm. And like, if you wanted a true project and said, screw it, he's 6'9", he should be able to shoot the ball really well. Let's see what we can do. And you just spend a year or two developing that. I would have been totally cool with that. I think that would have sent a very clear message that, okay, we see him. Let's see if we can develop him and he'll, he'll be legit into mm-hmm. whatever it is. But I mean, there were some guys who went in the second round that I thought could have been solid. Like you could have had, and these two guys went back to back, but you could have had Christian Coloco and you could have had Jalen Williams, both of whom I would have been cool with. I know people have concerns with Coloco about his age and inability to space the floor, but I mean, you would have given your, you would have grabbed another big that you can develop. And, and, you know, with Coloco, there were signs that he was spacing out or that his shot was going to be able to space out the floor. Um, 31% usage, by the way. For Blake Wesley? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, w- I would have guessed 30 or above. Um, not, not, that's his, eight, or his, uh, his freshman year, not his first summer league game, though I would assume probably around his game. <laughs> yeah, it's all about the same. Yeah. And actually, I think that's higher than DeJounte's was because I think he was like at 29% this past season. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. But yeah, I thought for the Spurs, they could have grabbed a big and and solidified the front court there. But alas, not not the case. And then they went and sold the thirty eighth pick. And again, we didn't know. Again, I guess we still don't know that they're going full rebuild. But we can assume that that's the trajectory yeah. of the team is they're going yeah. full rebuild. So yeah, if you're like I'm, I'm with them. Like Coloco would have been another guy. There was yeah, there was probably there was probably ten guys at twenty five where I would have preferred, but. Um, you know, understanding the logic and understanding that, that this was like, you know, it's just like any draft where like if we didn't see Wesley as higher, but like let's just say like I don't know, pick a name, uh Tari Eason is dropping to 25. Like you probably just have to grab him and figure yeah, it out. Yeah. If you already drafted Jeremy Sohan, you probably just gotta you gotta grab Tari Eason and just figure yeah. it out later. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for, for sure. And Wesley doesn't look like an overpick because, again, uh, according to our draft board, he was going to go 21. And, and like you all said, some teams had him, some mocks had him going 16 as early as 16 on, on their board. Yeah, that's crazy. So, yeah, so you know, if yeah. he's there, you know, the Spurs took him. So um, I guess, Ben, since you saw more of him, you said at, at Notre Dame, how much of that is going to be an issue for him of like knowing that he had to do so much in college and, and you know, had to be the guy and, and the, had, you know, kind of like controlling that aggression in terms of his attack style. Like when does he know when to kind of put the brakes and maybe not go hundred percent all the time or, you know, get more people involved. What do, what do you think you're, uh, it's going to take? It's, that? it's so different um, mm-hmm. from player to player. Cause there are guys who they do that in college for two or three years and they are tired. And they're like, Oh my God, I have real teammates now. Please yeah. do stuff. Take it out of my hands. Um, I, I don't necessarily know which way, Blake Wesley leans on that. If he's a guy who can, who's going to be able to say and realize, you know, okay, I don't, I don't have to do as much work here. I have, I have like NBA caliber teammates who are able to shoot and do, you know, they have, they have real NBA skills. I'm not playing with, you know, the guys I was playing with at Notre Dame. Uh, granted, those are power five guys, but there's, you know, there is a vast difference mm-hmm. in talent and skills there. Was interesting, Ben. I felt like in the, just again, we're obviously just going off of one summer league game so far. Yeah, they don't yeah. Play that's why I don't want to uh, later this afternoon uh, on Sunday. But uh, Branham, I almost felt like he was basically like, "I'm not the best player on this team. I'm, but I'm one of the best players. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, doing what I did." Like pretty similar to his role at Ohio State, and um, I think Mitch Johnson said afterwards, like. 
he really lovely did like where he was getting to his spots and everything. And so it was just interesting watching the difference in the two because Malachi Branham could have also very easily just been like, I'm going to get mine. And, right. uh, um, but you know, probably two different directives. And I think like back to Wesley, like the point guard conversation, like I don't think he would have said that unless the Spurs were like, Hey, we're going to put the ball in your hands and we're going to see what you're going to do. Um, like, I don't think they get, I don't think he would have just gone out there willy nilly and been like, I was the point guard out there. Like, yeah. I think he told him that. I think, I, yeah, I, think say. I think especially once Sohan went down and that's just a guy that I, this is a long time ago guys, but, uh, maybe my first summer league was Kawhi Leonard, the, the year that Kawhi Leonard was there. Wow. And they put the ball in his hands a lot. Yes, and this was like that. second year Kawhi Leonard. Like he was not ready to be a primary ball handler. Um, but, uh, you could see them sowing the seeds there, like just being like, it's summer league. It doesn't matter. Even though they're, yeah, rings, I don't know if you guys saw that they're, they're handing out summer league rings. Fantastic. Um, but, um, Chris Paul about to come back and play summer league. <laughs> um, but anyway, so they, they've been doing this and I thought, you know, that, that was the one thing I, I wish we would have. The one reason I wish Sohan was there is yeah, for sure. Seen, like what point Sohan would have looked like. Cause you know, we would have gotten it. We would have gotten at least a little bit of it. Um, so, but I think with like once Sohan was ruled out, they were like, "All right, here you go, Blake Wesley. Like, yeah. he's a point guard. You and Primo get to share the point guard responsibilities." And then the, the last player we did cover already. So only if y'all have any lasting thoughts about him. And, and again, this is Dominic Barlow. So again, he didn't get drafted. He was undrafted. Six six ten forward. Um, uh, at a, at a, at a day. What was the place that he came from? The, the overtime. Overtime. League. League. There you go. Overtime. League. There we go. Okay. So in, in his game, his opening summer league game, uh, he he scores nine points on five shots. We know that he's not he's not known for his offensive skill set. Uh, goes three or four from the free throw line. Seven rebounds, one steal, six fouls in twenty one minutes. Uh, what's interesting, the Spurs did start him at the five. He started alongside uh, uh Robert Woodard the second. So were there any closing thoughts regarding um um Barlow that you all did, wanted to get off that you all wanted to share? Uh, ben, we'll start with you. Uh, yeah, I mean, if he's, uh, you know, all that stuff Trevor said about him earlier is fantastic to hear, especially from a guy who is, you know, in the program, sees him every day. That's great news. You you want a guy who's going to work his butt off and, and be a part of what you're trying to do. So I think that bodes well for him to start. I think if he goes to Austin and he improves the consistency on his three-point stroke, he's he's going to have a place in San Antonio. I don't doubt that for a second. He'll make – you know, he'll make a Gorgie Jang or he'll he'll make a Zach Collins essentially expendable and he'll be much cheaper. So I'm sure the Spurs would love that and then they can trade or or buy out whatever they're going to do, preferably trade one of those guys out and get something else in return. Yeah. Gorgie Trevor Jang and Zach Collins are actually great. Uh uh not role models, but um uh that's the word I'm looking for. Ment- uh, mentors, maybe? like Mentors, yeah, that's a yeah. good one. Just because they are guys who, uh, I mean, Gorgie, Gorgie especially, as you mentioned earlier, Paul has improved his, his jumper as the uh, as his career has gone on, especially up to mm-hmm. three. But, like, defense has always been his calling card. Like, Zach Collins, a little bit, like, I think Zach Collins has got a little bit more versatility to his game. But still, like, just the idea that, like, here's these guys that can space, like, Basically, be a three and be big, and mm-hmm. start with that, and then just kind of keep working on stuff. But you know, I think the thing—I I thought he looked fine. Um, I think these defensive first guys always struggle in summer league because um, there is less structure. And um, one of the reasons I'm actually glad so didn't play because I feel like he 
there's a decent chance that like he wouldn't have done a whole lot on offense and we would have been like, oh no. Yeah. Oh no, is this a bad pick? Especially like seeing yeah. like Jalen Duran dunk on guys nonstop because it's just a bunch of fast breaks and pick and rolls. But mm-hmm. um it's hard to like evaluate guys who are who's calling cards or defense right now. But I thought he looked fine and again yeah. like if if he can become a three and D big and uh I mean I mean he could probably be more, but if he can just even be that, then yeah, I think Ben's right. He's gonna have a place in the league and if you're drafting, if, sorry, they didn't even draft him. If you're bringing guys in on two-way contracts, you're not like. I don't think the main goal there is to to unearth the next star. It's to find rotation guys. When you, it's another avenue to find rotation guys, and you know that's a good short-term goal for him. Yeah, especially when you inevitably have injuries throughout the season. Guys get traded. Whatever's going on, there's that's a guy he knows your system. You can trust him. You're gonna, you know, you're kind of throwing him a bone, saying, "All right, let's see how you do against." NBA competition. Yeah, I think if he if he develops uh if he has a good progression in Austin, I bet we see a ton of him in the second half of the season. Just okay. given we're, again, assuming the Spurs are in full rebuild mode, I bet he gets this is like the best the best time to have a two-way contract with the Spurs cuz he's going to be he's going to be uh, he's going to be in San Antonio a lot in, by the yeah. by the end of the year. No, for sure. I agree with both y'all there. So, uh, so before, before we close out this episode, don't forget to visit projectspurs.com Spurscast listeners, um, any off season news, we're making sure to, to report that over on the site. Uh, so thanks again to Ben and Trevor for joining me here on this episode of the Spurs cast. And thanks also to Joe Garcia for mixing and producing this episode from all of us at project Spurs. Stay safe and have a great day. What's so special about hero bread, soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas. Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.